talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's the feast of the blood was sent. I'll leash the beast within. I walk around with the strength of a hundred men. Two wrestlers run before I count the ten. Blood dripping from my canine like a thousand men. It seems I've been asleep for a thousand years. The way my world has changed, it brings me a thousand tears. Prince of darkness, they walk through the rays of light. To this beat of empire, I'm the prototype. The shape shifting mirror image, flash prototype. The everlasting division, the red blattotype. He was born perfect. And just like the great white shark, this guy has never had to Hello, and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie-by-movie movie and television series-by-television series, series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at Blade Trinity, the third of a series of movies featuring Marvel's Vampire Hunter from New Line Cinema, originally released in December 2004. Technically, this places it somewhere between Ward Meacham taking over as CEO of Rand Enterprises and The Punisher, well, he wasn't actually The Punisher yet, returning from his first tour of duty in Afghanistan, and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I thought of Blade Trinity shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give her thoughts on Blade Trinity is book reviewer Joanne Shepherd. Joe, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter where I'm Red Sky at Night or on my book reviews blog which is called Breakfast at Libraries. Okay, so before we go any further, Joe, what happens in Blade Trinity? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Because actually a lot happens, but also in some ways not much. <laughs> there isn't really much of a plot to this, I have to say. Blade, as we know, is still sort of gruffly wandering around killing vampires. He is still taking his kind of serum that stops him needing to drink blood himself. And in this film, he comes up against a group of vampires who have resurrected, I suppose, or reawakened is probably maybe a better word for it, some sort of version of Dracula. <laughs> it's supposed to be Dracula. I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to this later. I've got so many issues with the way Dracula is portrayed in this film. So Blade joins forces with a group who call themselves the Night Stalkers which annoyed me anyway I, I thought grow up to fight this group of sort of Dracula's kind of acolytes as it were and that's pretty much it really that's kind of it isn't it that's not the <laughs> There's not a lot. But we already asked when you joined us up about Blade 2, what you knew about Blade before you saw this. So, and I've got a lot of thoughts about this myself. What did you know about Hannibal King before you saw this? Literally nothing at all. Nothing. Well, I really, really, I mean, we'll come back to, I like what Ryan Reynolds did with what he was given to work with. I really hated how different they made Hannibal King. I mean, all these films before they started the Marvel Cinematic Universe are littered with, you know, minor changes that sometimes impact characters, sometimes don't hear. The whole thing about Hannibal King was that putting it as simply as possible he's kind of a latent vampire who never if this makes sense activated his vampiric abilities after he was okay. vampiricized and he kind of used that as a starting point for it's never quite being clarified how he does this or why but to kind of interpolate other paranormal abilities like he can literally evaporate yeah we can turn into a mist and drift away he's got some control of lycanthropy you know in other words he's essentially a sort of werewolf and 
here. He's just a bloke who was a vampire who's now not, who's a bit arsey. Yeah, I found the character very sort of bland, really. He's just a bit of a sort of irritating smart ass, really. And it's not, that isn't, none of this is Ryan Reynolds' fault, I have to say, because give a bad performance, particularly. But like you're saying, the material he's got to work with, the script for the whole film is terrible, I have to say. The dialogue is absolutely shocking. I get the impression that the audience are meant to find him quite likeable, you know, a kind of a bit of a likeable wisecracker. But oh, I just wanted to punch him, really. I, I have to say, I just thought, oh, like, again, grow up. Just like, you know, I just found him. I didn't find that character appealing. I would have found him much more interesting if I had sort of known about all those other qualities or seen any evidence of those other qualities, because that would have been a lot more interesting, as you say, in this there's not a lot going on there. There's not a lot going on for any of the characters, including Blade. Well, especially the Broughton's ability to communicate with rats, that would have been brilliant. But yeah. I'm actually going to, at this point, I know I said to come on to it later on, but Ryan Reynolds, it's interesting that, you know, he does his best with a not brilliant script and not brilliant character in this. Around the same time, he's also in the disastrous DC film of Green Lantern. He was Weapon X, who was an early version of Deadpool, essentially, in X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is one of the, you think this is a bad film that is worse <laughs> but i think it's interesting that then i don't know if you've ever seen either of the deadpool films but he came back as deadpool who you know is a character who talks to the audience about how badly the cliches are used in his movies and you know just messes with the entire flow of things comments on hating actual other superhero movies in fact at the end of the second one he goes back in time and assassinates ryan reynolds to stop him doing <laughs> Green Lantern. And I think, given his experiences in this and other similar films, it's no surprise that he really took to playing a character who kind of dismantles the whole idea of making a good superhero film and just runs it into the ground and makes fun of it. Although, I will say, he does get one brilliant line in this, which has become a meme, and I think people don't even know where it's from, which is, you cock-juggling thundercunt. <laughs> Yeah, there's that. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. I've never seen either of the Deadpool films, but I could imagine the process of making those would have been very cathartic for him, having seen his work in this. As for Wesley Snipes, now, I really get the impression there is some background to this, which I'll go into in a second, but that he just didn't want to be doing it at all. I'm wondering what you thought of that. Yeah, he's absolutely phoning it in, and he looks, he looks actively fed up. I think, in quite a lot of scenes. And he barely speaks. It's remarkable how little dialogue he, as the title character of the film, has. He says barely anything. He does quite a lot of kind of weird, like, animalistic grunting in this. He comes across as a lot more sort of animalistic and a lot less human, I think in this film than he does in the first two films. I think when we talked about Blade 2, my sort of issue with the character is that you never see him sort of do anything else other than sort of hating vampires. And you never see him sort of read a book or like go to the football or, or kind of have literally any other interest. And even more so in this, he's just so two-dimensional and it's not that I, I don't dislike Wesley Snipes and I thought he was good in the first two films but yeah he looks bored in this a lot of the time or fed up yeah like he or a bit irritable well there is a bit of background to that which I'll be very careful about how I describe all this because there are legal issues involved but basically this was directed by David S. Goyer who wrote this and the first two Blade films who is a brilliant screenwriter he's written things like for DC he's written The Dark Knight and Constantine he wrote the Nick Fury Agent of Shield 
Shield TV movie from the late 90s, which, you know, that has problems, but none of them are the script. He's currently writing Foundation, which is a really acclaimed American TV show based on Isaac Asimov's yeah. Foundation trilogy. Yeah. But in his career, he's directed four films, and they've all pretty much been disasters. Now, he claims Wesley Snipes was difficult during the making of it. Wesley Snipes also claimed that, although he was a producer of the film, he, I think originally he wanted Oliver Hirschbeagle, who was initially contracted to do it and then left to do Downfall. And it was basically just, ah, well, the writer can do it then. And Wesley Snipes apparently tried to veto it and wasn't listened to, which, you know, there's a kind of element of what was the reason they weren't listening to their black lead, you know, that. There's a little bit of that. But it all went into a thing where he sued new line for breach of contract and they countersued him for breach of contract i think we're best leaving all that there (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sounds like it all descended into a terrible mess basically much like the film well yeah because what it reminded me of the most watching it again now was it kind of feels like you know one of those early bbc3 comedy shows where there's no actual real jokes in it it's just the joke is the situation except it's all very naturalistic and not that funny and it ends with a close-up of somebody's disgruntled expression yeah and that's what most of the scenes in this film <laughs> ended like and it looked like one as well it had the feel of somebody trying to do you know one of those really hazy indie movies you got in the 90s where it's all very murky you know a bit of a step up from cctv you're not really sure who the characters are they're not really introduced things are happening you don't know why except they did it in the style of the first two blade movies you know that big kind of bright action movie style and it's like one does not fit inside the other no i know exactly what you mean and you've put your finger on i think when i was watching it i thought there just felt like a real disconnect there and i couldn't quite put my finger on what it was and i think you've really summed it up perfectly there in that it's one thing done in the style of another and it doesn't work they don't gel together at all the other thing that really struck me is so it was released in 2004 it feels older than that to me when i was watching it i thought this to me would have felt maybe a little bit dated even in 2004 it just felt very sort of five years before that to me and maybe it was that like you say that kind of 90s indie film it was sort of groups of slightly grungy people living in a really sort of trendy kind of grotty trendy house share in an old industrial building <laughs> kind of thing yeah it felt quite dated to me i've watched it and thought had i watched this in 2004 i would have thought it was naff in 2004 so watching it in 2022 even more so i think there's a definite disconnect there between the style and the look of it and the interactions between the characters and the type of characters and yeah because you don't really get you've got almost got like two groups of people haven't you you've got the night stalkers weird industrial house share where they all live together but also have a child living with them which is just weird and the vampires kind of weird house share situation where they all seem to live in another sort of murky industrial building with a vampire pomeranian who was my favorite character at yeah but you don't really like none of them have any discernible character traits really and you don't really know what the sort of relationship between them is people are introduced and given a name and then they're sort of barely mentioned again at all and there are a lot of characters where i thought i don't understand why they're in this film <laughs> what, why are they here what are they lending to this what's their role I, it's just it's baffling a lot of the time Okay, we're fucked. We're fine.
out my sword. Well, it's funny you should mention it looking dated in 2004 because my real abiding memory of it is that the first I knew about it was coming out because I'd liked the first two Blade movies. Where I was living at that point, there was a bus stop at the end of the road and it had a Blade Trinity advert on it. And for some reason, I just looked at it and thought, uh-oh, like there's something about the poster just felt wrong to me. And I do actually think one thing that really, really will have dated it even at the time and really hampered it since then is there are a lot of things in it that are direct lifts from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, really? See, I don't know. I'm not that familiar with Buffy. There were lots of things in it that I just thought. So all the vampires, for example, dress, they all have sort of leather jackets and black eyeliner or they're kind of, there's a sort of a teenage skater boy punk group of vampires and things like that and whenever I see that I always think my god the Lost Boys has got a lot to answer for yeah that scene in particular really struck me as a really badly done attempt to emulate Buffy it was you know yeah. like one of the scenes where she'd chance across another character who killed vampires would be in exactly those circumstances but done with a bit more wit and what's interesting there is Abigail Whistler whose Whistler's daughter was actually created for the film she was never in the comics before that okay. was played by Jessica Beale, and it appears already derailed her career because she I seems so we're right. You know, she seems to be the next big thing before this happened. And then she's not really had any really prestigious roles since then. No, I thought exactly the same thing because I had completely forgotten that she existed. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw when I sat down and watched this, I thought, oh, she looks familiar. <laughs> who's this and then I looked at the credit and was like oh of course Jessica Biel and yeah you're right she was everywhere absolutely everywhere in the sort of early noughties and yeah maybe this did kill off her career she's quite good in this I have to say she probably gives one of the better performances in it but again working with like really poor lines and also has to do the whole thing in the ultimate early noughties outfit which again I think was already a little bit dated by the time this came out because to me it very much said sort of 2000 rather than 2004 she's wearing like ultra low rise kind of flared leather trousers and sort of like a crop top which is very 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 noughties and also I mean I would have thought when people are waving like swords and stakes around don't have an exposed abdomen for god's sake yeah I've got my nose all saints meets tomb raider which yeah it nails it almost in the month doesn't it yeah yeah exactly I looked and thought oh god um, so I felt a bit sorry for her and I'm even more sorry for her now that we've established it might have been her last leading role. But we've really got to get on to the main issue with this, which is now I have mentioned on here before that there was a point in the 70s they did use Dracula in Marvel comics, which yeah. you know, was when Blade was introduced and so on. And the clever thing they did there, like they did with people like Conan the Barbarian and so on, was not to have, hey, hey, it's our big guest character, but to bring them into mythology like Dracula tries to steal the Darkhold, which is the famous kind of black magic book and the whole Marvel universe. He battles with Doctor Strange who kind of is conflicted over does he need to exist to maintain the balance between, I suppose, vampirism and not vampirism and so on. It wasn't just plonking Dracula into the middle of everything. So, you know, they had that nuance. But here, I don't even understand what they were trying to do. No, I don't either. And I think if I'm all for Dracula being put into things <laughs> normally, <laughs> I love it when Dracula is a character in other things. Does this include that- everything? <laughs> well, most things. Fresh I think fails. most things. Yeah, yeah. Most things would be better if, like, Dracula was in it. I think. <laughs> To the extent that I wrote my dissertation on the character of Dracula when I was at university, when I was a whippersnapper. So I've seen a lot of portrayals of Dracula in a lot of different things. 
sometimes really odd, a very odd presence of Dracula in things where it just doesn't really fit. This, you'd think that you could easily make Dracula fit into this because of the subject matter of the film. But no, what they do with the character in this is absolutely inexplicable. I don't know why the character has to be Dracula because it, it just bears no relation to Dracula in any way, really. They could easily have just made this character something different. The other two films have an original villain and that's fine. And they could have had this character as an original villain, I think, if they'd have wanted to. But for some reason, (laughs) they insist on saying, oh, yeah, oh, he's Dracula. Anyway. (laughs) And there's so much that it's so odd. I think at one point they say, well, he was born in ancient Samaria. We don't really know his origins. (laughs) And I was like, well, one, you've contradicted yourself there. But also, if you don't know his origins, maybe don't just don't mention them then. You know, what ancient Samaria? Why? Why? (laughs) And he also, at one point they say, they call him Drake. And I was like, well, who does? (laughs) Why do they? Why do they? Why would they not just call him Dracula? That's his name. (laughs) Well, that may be though, because they've taken the name Drake from a character who's really closely associated with Blade, who's Frank Drake, who is technically like a human descendant of Dracula. Oh. In terms of, you know, he has some trace elements of vampirism in his blood, and he's in the relationship with Rachel Van Helsing, who obviously is a descendant oh, of, of Van Helsing. Of course, so, yeah, obviously. Yeah, why did they do that? I don't understand. It doesn't add anything to anything. No, it adds nothing. It adds absolutely nothing. And also, he just looks like he's the least frightening and least charismatic. <laughs> I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I confess I'd never heard of the actor at all. His name's Dominic Purcell, but I'd never heard of him and didn't know anything about him. He looks a bit like he's quite a good looking guy. But in this, he looks a bit like a cross between Eric Cantona and a Chippendale. He's got sort of a cropped haircut, which, again, is very of its time, I think. And he dresses in um, sort of leather trousers and like 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 boot cut jeans, (laughs) like boot cut leather jeans and an open shirt and like some kind of metal jewellery. He looks like he's in Bond Jovi in the sort of Keep the Faith era, I would say. And he's really tanned as well, which seems unlikely to me for a vampire. And also he sort of inexplicably just sort of turns into a thing that looks a bit like a bit like a cross between. Well, it's like something out of a Guillermo del Toro film, I suppose. A sort of horned demon thing. You know what it reminded me of? You know, sometimes in the Muppets when there'd be a big chorus and they didn't have <laughs> enough Muppets to put in it. And there'd be what were clearly <laughs> monsters left over from other Jim Henson yes. productions. <laughs> yes. Not to be confused with demons. Muppet monsters with the big hairy things but like kind of yeah. like birdie type things yeah and there's no need for that to happen there's no need for him to turn into that and when he does turn into it it's like even less threatening and frightening than before because it's not a very good special effect either really there are some very poor special effects in this actually there's a bit where Dracula or Drake as I should call him is holding a baby that he has snatched from someone and it is very obviously not a real baby <laughs> it's like st- it's stiff as a board and very obviously fake and I just think oh Oh, you know, they must have looked at that in the edit and thought, no, let's not use this. But obviously they didn't. It's not good. And it's a very odd, the whole sort of Dracula thing as well, which is a bit of a trope of Dracula in films, I have to say, is that he actually turns out to be kind of quite easy to kill. (laughs) It's not that hard to finish him off. And when he sort of does, he's like, oh, well, yeah, well, you fought with honour, Drake. Well done. And then, like, just sort of, that's that. (laughs) And I was like, I don't think he'd give a shit about honour. He's just, he kidnapped a baby earlier on. What what, what are you talking about? One minute he's talking about honour and kind of smouldering and the next minute he looks like a cross between Darth Maul and like Hellboy. It's really odd. Really, really odd. 
the other character in it that I was completely sort of baffled by, well, not so much the character, more the performance, is Jarko Grimwood, who is played by a wrestler. And I didn't know he was a wrestler. And when I sort of clicked on the X-ray on Amazon Prime to kind of find out a bit more, and his credits were like, Play Trinity, WrestleMania 33, WrestleMania 36, <laughs> WrestleMania 41. And I thought, oh, I see, right, yeah, he's a wrestler. He's no actor, I have to say. He's no Luke Goss, is he? No, he's not as good as Luke Goss. And also, even his fighting scenes are really bad, and he's a professional wrestler, for God's sake. <laughs> I think his real name is, is it Levesque? I think his name is, is it Paul Levesque? Paul Levesque, apparently, is his real name, but he's credited in the film as Triple H, which I assume is, like, his wrestling name. But because of the way they do the credits, which is, they kind of credit them with an, a picture of them, it sort of says Triple H, and he's holding the Pomeranian, and I thought that was the name of the Pomeranian. <laughs> <laughs> Triple H still good performance oh no oh no sorry that's the wrestler there's always in all the vampire gangs in the Blade films there always seem to be like one who's just a massive lump doesn't there one who's just like a sort of a massive thug probably with like long hair looks a bit like a hell's angel super strong shades of jaws in the James Bond films just sort of brute, a bit thick brute force there's always one of those in every vampire gang I don't know why in these films the vampires are always like quite youthful and kind of interesting looking and they're always sort of a little bit punk a little bit goth loads of black eyeliner leather why are there no vampires that are just like middle-aged people that work in offices i don't understand i don't understand why all vampires would kind of look like the vampires in the lost boys i find that really weird i'd find it more interesting if there was more of a range of people there because if this was the case you would easily be able to spot vampires really easily and identify them immediately because they look conspicuously different from everyone else in the film i've just got an image now of vampires pursuing their mini cash icer options <laughs> yeah, just like, that's what that's you what really want to see in a film i want to see them like sitting in an office like filling in a spreadsheet or something or going to a planning meeting or something like that or putting together a corporate strategy well one thing that i do have to say not quite in its defense because it is a dreadfully dumb movie whatever way you look at it but the only way you can get hold of it at the moment is in an extended unrated cut which i think is nearly 20 minutes longer than the original theatrical version was that whole ridiculous thing we've got about fetishizing length of things you know longer somehow means better and usually it doesn't it means it's just the same film there are some films that justify the length there have been some obviously some marvel films particularly endgame that justified the extra length but around this time they did just make things longer for the sake of it and so you got you know bits that were cut out of the original version because you know they slowed things down the back in there it's got a different ending which i don't think is as good because in the original cut it looks like it's blade in the mortuary the fbi have got who then turns oh. back into dracula and dracula's allowed him to escape to keep on blading basically ah that would have been a much better ending because the ending in this one is terrible and i think they've only put that back in to make it unrated yeah the ending in this is absolutely terrible i can't believe by the way that i watched 20 more minutes of this than was necessary <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, God. Yeah, because at the end of this, there is a ludicrous voiceover at the end that more or less says, oh, anyway, Blade didn't die, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, OK. Blade died on the way back to his home planet. Yeah, I was like, that was a bit of a deus ex machina, wasn't it? I, was, I wasn't expecting that. There's also a sort of very terrible things or very kind of momentous things being said, like very quickly and casually. It's quite a thing in this film as well, because there is one bit where they're sort of rushing out their plan to sort of kill all the vampires in the world. And they sort of say, oh, Blade, you might die as well, by the way. Sorry, I didn't really have enough time to do it properly, so my bad. And that's just like glossed over as if, like, it was 
was just like, oh, it's a shame. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so there's quite a lot of that kind of thing. And the ending has got that. The ending of the version that I watched has certainly got that similarly sort of perfunctory. Wait, what? kind of feel to it it's a very it's, it is an odd ending it's very odd very sort of just tacked on i think okay well this is really the only one thing left me to ask now am i gonna have to explain who all these people are again <laughs> yeah because i i won't know will i so <laughs> Patton oswalt who was hedges the kind of netherworld arms dealer in blade trinity the q yes the anti-vampire q he was the koenig family in agents of shield and also pip the troll in the marvel cinematic universe so who was best now the koenigs were basically kind of identical spy facilitators who ran secret hideouts and so on. Nobody could tell which of them was which because they were all Patton Oswalt. Pip the Troll is an alien prince who drank a contaminated hallucinogenic beer and became a troll and basically teleports around saving people in space while being very, very drunk and turned up with Harry Styles at the end of Eternals who was Star Fox arguing with the Eternals over how to rescue the other Eternals. So who do you think sounds best out of all? those three (laughs) well as someone who spends a lot of time on twitter as soon as you said troll i kind of switched off (laughs) i was thinking oh what does he do then just like sort of shout at women i like i like the sound of drunk alien troll but then i also i've got a real weakness for kind of any kind of spy narrative subterfuge disguises encryption anything like that i love so i'm gonna go koenig i think okay well maybe he'll turn up in the mcu blade who knows joe thank you and excelsior thank you if you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can buy more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.